episode 43 for August 2008. The Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They want to be your supplier for your monthly comics and trade paperbacks. And they have discounts from 38 up to 75% off the cover price. An example is the Spider-Man Maximum Carnage trade paperback. It's written by our guest this month, J.M. DeMatteis, and the cover price is 30 bucks. Mail order has it for $18.59. So be sure to check out MailOrderComics.com and tell them the crawlspace sent you. Welcome back to our second hour of our interview with writer J.M.D. Mateus. We continue to talk Spider Shop, and we answer your two pages of message board questions. Our first one is from the United Kingdom. Uh, Wombat909 uh, says, Amazing Spider-Man 400, The Death of Aunt May. When you wrote it uh, during this clone saga, did you think that today it would uh, still be one of everybody's favorite issues? You know, um, most of the time one has no clue whether the story you're working on is even going to be any good, let alone whether it's going to last. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while, certain stories really, really resonate. And that story really, really resonated. That's the, you know, the kind of story when, when, you, when, when, as a writer, you get so emotionally involved in what you're putting on the page and so emotionally involved with the characters that uh, whether I knew it would last, who knows, I, I knew it was a good story. I knew it was yeah. uh, 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 above the cut. It wasn't just another one of my Spider-Man stories. It was something special. And that so, phone call from John Romita Sr. really confirmed it immediately, almost. Yeah, it sure <laughs> did. It sure yeah. did. You know, you know, if frankly, if everyone else in the world had hated that story and I'd gotten that phone call, that would have been enough for me. <laughs> and he also asks about uh, if you ever cried uh, while writing Amazing Spider-Man 400. You know, I don't remember, but I know that there are times, that's when I know when something's working. If, I, if, if there's a scene happening that's very emotional, and I find myself tearing up while I'm writing it or, or sitting there, you know, reading the pages. Right. I know it's working, you know. Of course, I'm the kind of a sap that cries at commercials. But <laughs> <laughs> so I just take that with a grain of salt. But, um, but you know, so, yes, I don't know whether I cried during that specific story, but it's happened to me certainly while I've been writing where I get very, very moved and very involved with the characters. You got a commercial that chokes you up? What's, can you remember one off the top of your head? <laughs> I can't think off the top of my head from now, but I know over the years, you know, you see these corny commercials. Maybe it's an AT&T commercial, you know. Yeah. I'm coming home, Mom, you know, whatever it is, you know. Remember, I, I used to get choked up over the, the, uh, the coffee one where the kid comes home. Uh, from college, and it's yeah. snow, and he sneaks in. On oh, the... right, right. And he's Remember that one? In the whole... Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff always yeah. gets to me. And, I, and I'm, you know, part of me is always watching myself going, oh, you yeah. snap. You know? <laughs> Strangely, I want a cup of coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm a total sentimental slob at heart, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not that hard to get me get me <laughs> weepy. <laughs> uh, Zarius is our next question. Uh, he doesn't have a location. I guess he's in the negative zone. Uh, how do you feel in regards to Marvel continuing to honor Craven's last hunt by keeping Craven six feet under despite creating a new hunter to replace him every few years? Yeah, that's pretty amazing to me, actually. I mean, because, you know, because the, the line in the sand always used to be Bucky will never come back, right? Yeah. That, we jumped that line. <laughs> we jumped that line, which is you know, fine. If it ends up being a good story, it's, it's fine. But um, but the fact that Craven is still dead all these years later is really just just you know from the perspective of nobody stays dead in comics. It's amazing. Right. It's really quite amazing. You know, we didn't really talk about uh, Soul of the Hunter. Was that the the sequel? Right. Name? The sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about talk about about that one. How did that come about? A little bit about that one. One of the things that happened was, I think it was Tom DeFalco said, you know, we're getting these complaints and these letters from people saying that we're glorifying suicide with Craven's suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, anyone that's going to say that hasn't read the story, you know, uh, you know, like 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 this was like a happy ending for Craven that he stuck a rifle in his head and blew his brains out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. The guy was like mentally ill. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and, so, and it really bothered me that people were, were interpreting it that way. And I guess it came up, well, why don't we do another story that somehow put a little bit of final clarification on that. And to be honest, I don't remember the story that clearly, um, but I know it had to do with, with Peter's guilt over, over Craven's death, that basically you know, he went off to go hunt vermin, and while he was gone, Craven offed himself. And Peter, being who he is, yeah, guilty. Um, <laughs> guilty. You know, I, I don't care what anyone says. Peter Parker is Jewish. He's got so much Jewish guilt. I guess he could have some Catholic guilt, too. But um, yeah. He's I very Italian, I had an Italian father and Jewish mother, so I had it coming from both sides. You know? <laughs> um, 
So so he had tremendous guilt out of it, and the story was really him working through that. And it worked in such a way that if you wanted to look at the story in a supernatural way, then it was Craven's soul coming back. And if you wanted to look at it in a psychological way, it was just Peter going through something in his head to yeah. work out this tremendous guilt. I remember um, that beautiful Zek cover where Craven, as a ghost, is pulling him back into the grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, that was beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, I would love to see someday see them do a collection where they actually collect Craven's last hunt. Mm-hmm. And the sequel all together, you know. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Zarius's other question is: Would you have liked to have explored the full history of Ben Riley prior to returning to New York City? You kind of already answered that. Yeah, I did answer that. I would, I would, I could, I could have been writing Ben Riley stories for years after that. Yeah, yeah would have been and very happy to do that. You think that's a possibility? Uh, is there a, a thing at Marvel that says no Ben Riley stories, or could you I, write I that? Have amazing no idea. I have yeah. no idea. You know, it seems like the only place you can go to find. To find anything relating to that stuff is, is Tom DeFalco's Spider Spider Girl comic, which right. in, in that universe, you know, Kane's still around. They reference Ben Riley, you know, uh, so that those that 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 thread still lives over there, right? Which I think is great. It's a great it's a it's a great comic book. Could, uh, could we see that of. the future coming from you? You think a Ben Riley story? I have no clue. I, 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 the sense I get is I don't think Marvel would be remotely interested in. But yeah. I have to say I'd probably be more interested in writing a Ben Riley story than some big Spider-Man story. Yeah. Well, it's a different character, essentially. Yeah. Uh, F- FSU Spider Fan from Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, what did you think about the Spider-Man movies, particularly the death of Harry Osborn? I really liked the first Spider-Man movie. I, what I really liked about it was really all the human stuff, all the character stuff. They really nailed Peter and Mary Jane and Aunt May, and it was that stuff was great. I was less thrilled with the Green Goblin stuff. I think you know, yeah. as soon as he started going Spider-Man, <laughs> I was out of a 1967 cartoon. It kind of lost me a little bit. Yeah. But still, at that point, I don't think we'd seen a superhero movie that good, right? Whatever the flaws were, and I think the second Spider-Man movie is perfection. Yes, I loved, agree. Loved that movie. Absolutely loved that movie. Um, and I really thought the third one uh, was a big mess. <laughs> you know, I'd heard that it was a big mess, yeah. And 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 then I saw it, and it was like, oh my god, they're right. It's really a big mess. <laughs> well, what, what's it like as a writer to see kind of your story a bit up there? I mean, Harry Osborn right. died. It was it was really only kind of. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it was really only kind of. So I, I didn't, yeah. you know, it didn't completely relate to it. Um, it, 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 you know, it felt like it suffered from what happened to the Batman movies, where they just said, let's just throw in more stuff. <laughs> and then after we throw in more stuff, let's throw in some more stuff. Yeah. So the whole thing was just so uh, top-heavy that it just fell over and crashed and burned, you know? Yeah. Uh, I did and did not like that movie very much. And, and it's, it's funny, because the second movie was so good. Yeah, I, so they good. set the, the bar really high on that one. Yeah, they really, really did. I mean, that was just, uh, it, was, it, it was Spider-Man to perfection, you know? Right. So, and his, his other question is about if you had the opportunity to be involved in the next movie, what would you like to do with it? Well, you know, I haven't seen the Batman movie yet. I, I, I hate to admit it on a comic book podcast. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> People will come after me now, you know, with, with flaming torches. Um, yeah. but, but from what I gather, it, it skews pretty dark. Oh, yeah. So the only way that a Spider-Man movie can possibly compete, right, is to do a movie of Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, there you <laughs> And put you in as, a, as an executive producer. That's right. There you go. I'm so glad we solved that problem. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> do you think Craven would work good on screen with you the know, loin? You'd have to why, redo the, you'd have to redo here's the why they couldn't do it. Here's yeah. why I think they couldn't do it. Why is that? It's because... Your hero is buried alive for a good part of the story. <laughs> and it's one of the things that really struck me in the third Spider-Man movie was how often yeah. Tobey Maguire did not have his mask on. Yeah, they always ripped that mask to show the actors. And it was either broken in half or he just took mm-hmm. it off or he was flying around doing Spider-Man stuff in his civilian clothes. Yeah. And it seemed to me very clear. It's like, hey, excuse me, I'm the star of the movie. I can't spend the whole movie behind the mask that doesn't show my face. You know, that, uh, whether that's true or not, that's certainly what it felt like, because it seemed like every yeah. excuse they had to take his mask off to show the star of the movie, yeah. there he was. You know? Well, they they but, always do it in the last final scene. He always rips it so you see the eyes. Right. You know? <laughs> you know, They didn't do it as much in the other movies at all, but in this one, the third one, it was like every five minutes. There he is. He's, 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 there's his face again, you know? What about the character um, of Craven? Do you think he'd work on screen? I, I think it could work. I think, you know, I mean, obviously you'd need, you'd need a really good script and a really good director. But, you know, all of this stuff, any of the superhero stuff, if you look at it one way, 
it is inherently the goofiest stuff in the world, you know? <laughs> and then you tilt it the other way and you do it right and and you yeah. can buy it. And it really depends on, you know, why would anyone buy Dr. Octopus for God's sake? Yeah, no you doubt. You know what I mean? And yet it worked. Mm-hmm. It's all, it worked. all in the delivery and the writing exactly, and, and the exactly acting. So. So. And in fact, you know, Craven being someone who is uh, really more street level in his powers, you know, he's not like some guy... Uh, Flying around or anything, you know, he's he's juiced up by his jungle potions and all that. But he's right. basically just a guy, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe, you know, maybe you know, ten or fifteen years ago, it could have been old Schwarzenegger or something. Who knows? Although I, <laughs> I, you know, but um, so I think I think I think he could absolutely do Craven. Although it always amused me that you know his name is Craven. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, the word Craven does not is not exactly uh, heroic name for somebody. I'm trying but, to think of a, a, a popular Russian actor that could play Craven, and, and Dolph Lundgren is the only one that comes to mind, and I definitely don't want that. <laughs> right, right. I guess they, they'd have to go and um, yeah. uh, and, and find, go, go, go find some authentic Russian actor and bring okay. him over. <laughs> um, Funny K from Scotland. You have fans in Scotland. And he's, he says, uh, you, you said in the Craven's Last Hunt introduction that you were offered the job of the head writer on the Spectacular Spider-Man book before you wrote Craven's Last Hunt. What postponed your appearance on that book? Oh, well, I think I explained that before. Okay. Uh, I, I accepted that gig, and what happened was that we started working on the story, and Sue Salakup said, oh, we'll have to run run all the, the story through all six issues. So that's basically yeah. the, the Spectacular Spider-Man gig turned into the six issues of Craven's Last Hunt. Right. So it wasn't that it got postponed, and then some years later I was on Spectacular Spider-Man. There were two separate events. And I think what happened was when I was done with Craven's Last Hunt, I was like, I can't do anything after this. I'm what done. I'm do to follow this up. You know? I peaked. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it took me a couple of years to have a couple more ideas. You know? Right. Uh, and we, we hit on this a little bit, but Funny K wants to know about your opinion of Harry Osborn returning. Right. I, you know, I don't really have an opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is what it is, you know. It, it, well, someone asked me about this whole brand new day thing. I, I didn't read it. Is it called brand new day? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't read it, so I can't comment on the story. But conceptually, you know, whatever they did, I don't. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, are they doing good stories now? Is the result? What's the result? Are the Spider-Man books fun now? Are they entertaining? Do they have good writers and good artists? And if they're doing that, then it's fine. You know, if Harry Osborn's back and they're telling entertaining stories. That's great. We can't get so lost in this continuity thing. These characters have been around for, what, 45 years or some insane right. thing like that? 62. You know, you got to keep rebooting them. Things are going to change. You know, I mean, that, that's exactly what we what we wanted to do with the clone thing was use it with, within a story, find a way to reboot and start fresh. So they used this Mephisto thing to reboot and start fresh. Would mm-hmm. I necessarily have done it that way? No. Would someone else have done what we did in the clone saga? No. It doesn't matter. What matters is what results. How are the stories now? So, so, so I, I, I'm not going to walk around and go, oh, my God, they brought Harry Osborn back and <laughs> betrayed me. Who cares? You know, really. Yeah. Uh, that story, like I said, that story is still out there. You can read it any time, and it's a, it's a good story, and, and you can enjoy it. And hopefully they're doing great stories now, too. Spidercraft from Novi, Michigan uh, says, hey, JM, I must say that I loved, all in caps, in your intro from Craven's Last Hunt, excuse me, Fearful Symmetry, you stated how you feel a story is alive and needs to grow and evolve. Such an amazing analogy that I completely agree with. That being said, you stated before how you felt the marriage of Peter Parker and Mary Jane was essential to uh, Fearful Symmetry. I completely agree. Do you think? Do you feel Joe Cusato's statement that, quote, any story told while they were married could just as easily be told with them as a living together, not married couple, unquote, is a slap in the face to stories like Fearful Symmetry? I, I wouldn't take it so far as to call it a slap in the face. I think if a slap in the face, I think we're going to have a duel or something. You know, <laughs> um, you know I could disagree with that statement, though, you know, completely right. disagree with it, because there's a real difference between uh, having a relationship and living with somebody and being married and the level of commitment Mm-hmm. And connection that comes in marriage. It's a very, very different thing. And, right. and, and certainly for Craven's Last Hunt, that was hugely, hugely important. As I said before, the fact that they had just been married. Right. They're newlyweds. newlyweds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was hugely important. So I, I, I actually very much disagree with Joe's statement, uh, very respectfully, but I disagree. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, I, but I don't feel like anyone's slap me in the face at all. Like I said, uh-uh. read your stories. Go read the story. Enjoy yeah. it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. That, that, that'll be the, Focus of your next story: the the impact of the fist to the face, or the slap to the face. <laughs> uh, his other question is: uh, 
which, if any, of Craven's sons or daughters, uh, which we just had in the latest issues, have you liked as a worthy successor? And I assume you're, you're not reading the current arc of the young girl Craven. No, I, I don't know about the young girl Craven, so I can't answer on that one. I mm-hmm. know there was the, was it the Grim Hunter before that, who mm-hmm. came and went pretty quickly. And I take responsibility for the middle one. Right. Um, I think his name was Elyasha Kravinov. As I, oh, that, as that just, that's just fun to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just steal, I steal names from the Brothers Karamazov every chance I can get. Uh, <laughs> and that character was fun. And I don't know, same thing, I don't know if I'd even planned on doing a Craven's son. I had the chameleon running around, and, and, and I think he was hallucinating and seeing Craven, you know, because Craven yeah. is like the single force in his life that always haunts him. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think the feeling was, what a great switch. Yeah. If it's not a hallucination and Craven shows up, but I knew I would never bring Craven back. So I, I like to do that, just flip things around, have some fun. So Craven shows up, and I'm thinking, okay, I just made Craven show up. I know it can't be Craven, so who is it? Right. Well, obviously there was another son. And then I kept playing with it, you know, kind of kept flipping the character. You thought he was like a bad guy, then he seemed like he was a bit more of a good guy. And the last time we saw him through all this, you know, Spider-Man and he make peace with each other. Spider-Man goes off. And the way I left it, uh, although I'm sure that's not how they, they followed it up, it looked like uh, this young Craven had, had murdered Calypso right. uh, in the very last scene that we see him. So the, the, the idea was going to be that this guy is crazier than his father ever was. Right. This guy is more dangerous and more vicious and more of a lunatic than his dad ever was. But I don't really know what they did with him after that. Right. So, From a, we had this kind of debate with my regular panel about, um, I'll ask you as a writer, what, what's it like to write, uh, like a replacement for a character? Like the son is always the replacement for the, the right. father sometimes. What, what's that like? I mean, does it feel like cheating or something? Or are you wishing to write the, the original, the best version of it? Or? You know, it's, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a question of wishing to write Craven again. It was just, for me, it was just, it just came out of the story of playing with the chameleon's head and playing with the readers a little bit. Right. And that's one of those stories if I look back, would I have done it again? I don't know. Maybe maybe it wasn't a smart thing to do. Maybe it just should should leave the entire Craven bloodline alone, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't claim that it was the wisest idea in the <laughs> world. I think it worked within the context of that particular story, but right. whether you know, whether I should have told that story in the first place, uh, <laughs> I don't know. So there there is there is a certain level of, you know, watering down that's happening because it's not the original character. Yeah. And the trick would have to be ultimately to make him something other than what that previous character was. Okay. And frankly, you know, then, then you can say, well, if you're going to make it something other, then why don't you just create another character? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, and boy, boy, Craven got around in the jungle, didn't he? How many kids has this guy got? Yeah, I don't know, man. I guess, I, I don't, who, know, who knows who the mothers are? There's a whole other story. Who are these women that he's impregnating? You know? Maybe I Calypso. Know. I don't know. <laughs> or Shanna in the Savage Land. Who knows? <laughs> or it could be Sheena from a completely different combo. Oh, you know? then you'd have a crossover. Look at that. <laughs> uh, Spider Girl from, uh, well, she posted this in Pensacola, Florida. Um, she says, what was the most difficult trial you went through as a writer, whether it was writing for a particular book or a story or just being a writer in general? And how did you overcome it and what did you take away from it? That is a phenomenal question. She's one of our panelists. She's good, isn't she? <laughs> That's a really, really good question. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there are two levels to, to, to being a professional writer. One is the level of wrestling with the story, and the other is the level of wrestling with your career and putting food on the table and paying your mortgage, you know? Right. And, and you know, on the creative level, as I, as I think I said, I, I, I'm a very intuitive writer. I learned over the years that the more I write from my head, the more I write from a blueprint uh it's not what works for me. It's when I break through and the story really just starts to come through. It almost becomes like channeling. And once that happens, I get out of the way and I let the characters do what they have to. Then I kind of come back in when it's done and it's the editor and I clean it up a little bit. But the heart of the story just starts flowing from some other dimension as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that almost has nothing to do with me. And, and, and uh, some people have a hard time with that, but I really, really believe that, you know. Right. Um, but the hard part is sometimes you can't just flip a switch and make that happen. Right. And so sometimes I'm sitting here, and it's like, oh, my God, I'm just going to bang my head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully if I hit it enough times, my, my, my skull will crack and a story will come oozing out with all the blood, you know? Right. Um, and that, to me, is the, on the creative level, the hardest part is sometimes you just can't force it. Right. You just can't force it. Right. And you sit down with all the best intentions, Mm-hmm. And you're not you're not going to make this that story happen. 
Um, and so I, I learned over the years, and this is maybe the most one of the most important things I learned as a writer is that there really is no such thing as writer's block. Right. I've gone through periods where, where thankfully not very long periods where it's just, oh man, I just I can't I can't get something out today. I can't work today. Mm-hmm. And maybe it goes on for a few days. It may even go on for a week. But what I realized was, my unconscious mind is always working on the story. It's so whether you look at it, whether it's you know little guys in the back of my head opening up that doorway to the other dimension, you know what I mean? <laughs> slowly pulling that door open, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is why sometimes the stories will just sort of seem to appear whole cloth. Like, oh my God, there's the whole story. I just know it all of a sudden, because it's been back there, whether in the back of my head or in dimension X, um, yeah. <laughs> developing the whole time. But you you can't make that happen. But I've learned to honor the process when it doesn't work. I'm saying, oh, it's really not happening today. Okay, hmm. no, I'm not blocked. I'm actually working. It's just that my conscious mind is not doing it. It's happening someplace else. Right. So go off, you know, go hang out with my wife, go hang out with my kids, you know, <laughs> take a walk, go to a movie, play the guitar, whatever it's going to take. <laughs> Don't worry about it, and then come back, and when the time is right, it will happen. So I think on a creative level, that's probably the hardest part is, is when you start to really wrestle with a story and try to beat it into the ground because you can't. You have to let – it's not about you. It's about the story. It's not about you. It's about the characters. So you have to give the story and the characters the room to grow on their own. And then if you're lucky enough, you're like you know you're like the guy in the court doing the transcription. You know, <laughs> that's really when when a story's really going great. That's what it's like. You're taking nice. transcription. That was a very. Uh, good, that's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah, 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 it really is. It really, and that's really what it's like on the yeah. best stories. You know, sometimes. You get an assignment. It's a level of craft. It has to be in by Tuesday. Maybe you're not completely passionate about it, but I've done this long enough that I know how to put together a good story with a beginning, middle, and end and some characterization. And that becomes, you know, that work is sort of like plumbing. <laughs> From pipe A to pipe B. And I don't mean that yeah. in a way to denigrate it either because, you know, it's yeah. you know, learning to put a story together is a difficult thing. Right. Um, and, and so you have to honor that as well. But the best stories really are the stories that just sort of come gushing through yeah. And you just get out of the way. You take your transcription and send it out on out into the world. You know. Yeah. Not, and then the other, the, you know, the other difficult part of a career is just that, having a career. Mm-hmm. There are always going to be bumps in the road. And when you're a freelancer, you're always at the mercy of 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 the winds of fate. It's just the way. <laughs> now the truth is, everybody is. Someone goes to a, a job in an office and 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 they think that they're on solid ground because I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And as we all know, it doesn't work that way. No. But with a freelancer. You know that every day. Every day is about recreation. You know, and so you're going along at one company and things are great and, and, and they think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and then a new editor-in-chief comes in who decides you're like the biggest piece of shit in the universe. <laughs> and so suddenly nice. they're not using you. Okay, well, i got to go over here to this other company. I have to generate some work over here. You're, and what, it, what I've seen for myself is that it's, I have to constantly reinvent myself. And the way to do that is I've discovered is always to go back that which I'm most passionate about. You can't go out trying to please somebody else. Right. The projects that have always been the breakthrough projects for me were the projects that I kind of went, all right, what do I want to do more than anything? And it may take me five years to convince somebody to publish this story, <laughs> but this is what I want to do. And that's yeah. why I've been lucky because, you know, you talk to five different people about what my career is about, and, oh, yeah, he's the guy that does that funny stuff with Keith Giffen. <laughs> oh, no, he's the guy that does that psychological superhero stuff. No, he does all that spiritual stuff. No, no, he does those kids' comics with Mike Plug, you know. So depending on what you're looking at, uh, you know, he does that Vertigo stuff. So there's, there's, I've just followed my passion wherever it has led me, and it led, it's led me to a lot of different genres and a lot of different directions. And that's one of the great things about the comic book business, you know, if you want to take advantage of it. A lot of guys want to lock themselves into one thing or another. But if you if you know there's a potential to do really anything you want in any kind of story, mm-hmm. um, and and so that, if I had any advice on both the practical career level and on just the creative levels, always go to that which you love and gives you the most pleasure. That will ultimately unlock the doors. Right. Uh, Lockdown from Illinois. He says, first off, JM, I have loved your work, your stuff for years. And one of the first early DC books I read was your run on Justice League. I think you have written some of the best comedy slash drama books for both DC and Marvel of the last twenty years, and I've also enjoyed your TV projects as well. You got a fan. You got a fan in Illinois. (laughs) Was uh, his first question is was Danny Burkhart originally going to be Mad Jack, or was it someone else like McGuire Beck or some other Jameson connected character? I don't even know who Danny Burkhart is. <laughs> I guess that's the person that they said it ultimately was or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, and McGuire Beck. 
Oh, that was another one. McGuire was, in my version, was the name of the jack-o'-lantern's cat. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah think, it was the cat, yeah. <laughs> I think down the line they must have come up with a character because basically, again, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to disappoint a lot of people. <laughs> people have come up periodically over the years and said, so what was, where was that story going? <laughs> what was the truth behind Mad Jack? Who, and my answer is, I have not the vaguest clue. <laughs> <laughs> I have a vague clue. Um, oh. But I was just letting the story, this is the way I write, I was letting the story develop itself. And at some point, it would have come into focus. I would have known who he was. Yeah. Or he would have told me who he was, which is, as I said, the way it works when it really works well. Mm-hmm. And that would have been revealed. But as I was kind of going along and just playing with it, what I saw when I was working on it was that this character had some deep connection to the Jameson family and specifically to Jameson's wife. Mm. That's all I specifically remember. So whatever they came up with was something different. I think Tom DeFalco did a miniseries or something where they where they resolved that mystery, and Tom said, so, you know, what were you thinking? I said, Tom, I didn't know what I was thinking, so anything you come up with is as valid as anything I would have come up with. I, I don't remember who they revealed Mad Jack to be. So. But I think Maguire Beck might have been one of the names. Possibly, might have been, yeah. Um, there was, was it Mysterio's cousin or some odd thing? I don't remember. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Uh, his, his other question is, uh, what were your original plans for Conundrum? Same thing. It was tied into the whole Mad Jack thing, and I was just throwing stuff at the wall to see what was going to stick. So I have no profound answer to that. I, yeah. I, I, you know, had I stayed on the book another six or eight months, I would have had a really great answer for you. But yeah. uh, I left, and, and, and Conundrum has faded into the mist of time and probably deservedly so. Living up to its name. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Crazy Chris uh, says, what is your favorite Spider-Man story from the past five years? I've, I have a hard time answering that because I haven't read any. Okay. Wait, amazing Sp- Spider-Man fan well, the, number one. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, I read Spider-Girl. I think Spider-Girl is a fantastic comic book. So. Yes. That, so that's me, a great run by those guys. Yeah, let me plug Spider-Girl. Spider-Girl, Spider-Girl. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Morbius, who's one of our uh, panelists on the show from Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, he says, I think it's safe to say that most people consider Craven's Last Hunt to be your best work, indeed one of the greatest Spider-Man stories of all time, and deservedly so. And his question is, is that your personal best? Is this the story, Spidey or not, you're most proud of writing in your career, or is there another personal favorite, maybe something that was harder to write, and you're particularly happy with the outcome or something that just feels better? Well, I, I sort of answered this. You know, right. I, I, would, I certainly wouldn't put Craven as my personal best. Even, even my personal best Spider-Man story, I'd probably put Amazing Spider-Man 200, uh, Spectacular 200, as my favorite. Mm-hmm. And in terms of superhero stories, I'd probably put that Batman story I mentioned, Going Sane, as my number one choice. Okay. And in terms of my, 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 all the work that I've done in a broader sense, um, Moonshadow, Brooklyn Dreams, Abadazad, um, those are the ones that are really at the top of my list. Okay. Uh, Vinny57. Hey, Vinny, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> I recently read the Spider-Man Batman crossover. I'd forgotten you wrote that. that, that... I did two of them, yeah. Oh, I, okay. And he says that you wrote a couple of years back the Batman-Spider-Man crossover. I thought it was a very fun and entertaining story, especially seeing those two characters together. How was it being able to have the opportunity to bridge the two characters from different universes? You know, that was a lot of fun because I did the Marvel one and the DC one. Oh, cool. So for Marvel, I did Spider-Man Batman, and for DC, I did Batman Spider-Man. And I did uh, Spider-Man Batman with Mark Bagley, and I did Batman Spider-Man with... I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, Graham, hey. Graham Nolan. Graham Nolan. That's Graham it. Nolan. That, yeah, you just yeah, pulled yeah. that, the, as you said, the door from Universe X just opened and gave you the answer. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and it, it was just fun. I mean, uh, uh, both those stories were fun. The first one, you know, I, I guess I was asked to use carnage in it yeah uh, who is not my favorite character of all time but i also have the joker and carnage and joker yeah that... you could play those two off each other a little bit you know mm-hmm. even though i didn't i don't particularly care for carnage or venom they're two two of my least favorite spider-man villains i know right. one's not supposed to say that about venom because everybody loves venom <laughs> but I, could, I could care less really about. no there's a lot of people writers especially i've heard i've talked to over the years that don't dig them right, well, <laughs> so... uh, you can add me to that list yeah um Although I thought in the thir- third movie, I think the, what makes him work is he's the exact opposite of Spider-Man. I think mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. play that up, it works a bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I just, I just never had a particular affinity. You know, I, yep. I, I, I guess I wrote him in the Maximum Carnage Car- story, but right. you know, didn't didn't make a difference to me. Right. But it was it was okay using Carnage in that story. And then you know the the Batman Spider-Man thing had um, Ra's al Ghul, mm-hmm. whatever the hell his name is pronounced, yep. um, which was really good. He's a great he's a great villain. 
And, right. and it was Rafael Gulen. I don't, I don't remember who the second villain was. There must have been two villains. Oh, the Kingsman. That's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that was a really fun story as well. So it was the the, the fun for me was that I got to do it for both companies. You know, right. that was a real treat. Right. Uh, Scooter says a uh, couple questions. It's Ben Riley question. Uh, basically, we kind of hit on this one also about uh, if you had any more work after Lost Years planned for Ben Riley, and has there been any interest from Marvel in doing those books? And the answer is yes. I, 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 I was planning on writing Ben Riley forever, and B, I've heard no interest from Marvel about yeah. doing anything like it. And he also has a personal uh, praise. He says, I wanted to let you know how important Amazing Spider-Man 400 was to me. My dad passed away the year before. That story was printed after spending two months in a coma after having brain tumor surgery. The circumstances of Aunt May leading up to her death and my pops mirrored each other a great deal, and I couldn't help but think of him when I read that comic. To this day, that particular issue remains my all-time favorite Spider-Man story, regardless of the retcon of it. I wanted to say thank you, and the story has meant a lot to me over the years. If I had to choose one comic to keep out of my entire collection, it would be that one. And that, and he has a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15. Wow. So, yeah. well, um, you know, that's, that's profoundly touching. And, and you <laughs> know, uh, one person saying something like that is worth the world. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that one single story could touch one single person's heart. Just one person right. is worth having an entire career just for that. <laughs> so I, I am just as grateful as as, as, as he is. Awesome. Capel uh, 2000 from Brazil. We're going to Brazil for this one. Uh, Mr. Dematis, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dematis or Dematis, either one, but it's not Dematis. Keith okay. Giffen, for years, I'm telling you, for years, Keith Giffen kept referring to me as Dematis. <laughs> I went, Keith, that's not how you say it. It's Tay, I forgot the Tay in it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't have my pronouncer. I've got this pronouncer on my screen. That's how to say okay. It. I'm, not, I'm just giving you a hard time for the sheer fun of it. Here, uh, JM, I've been a fan. <laughs> I've been a big fan since Moonshadow and your Captain America run, but your Spec Spidey and your and late your Amazing Spider-Man run is my favorite of all times. I'm glad you're back on Spider-Man. I hope you can write more Spidey stories in the future. Uh, what, his first one is: What do you think of the unmarried Spider-Man? I read one of your interviews, and you said there was uh, said there were any problems in, that you didn't have any problems in writing a married Spider-Man. It's, is that true? If you have if you have done the unmarried story, would you have used Mephisto and magic, or or a reasonable way to like divorce? Would you deal with the devil, or would you divorce him? I guess this is his question. Well, that's and, a good question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, you know, that, uh, my my instinct is that that I you know I probably wouldn't have gone the Mephisto route. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. You know, you know. I can't speak because I wasn't there. I wasn't one of those writers. I wasn't in on those meetings. And and I know, you know, from my own experience, you know, you're sitting in a meeting and ideas come up and everyone gets on board and off you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm certainly not going to, you know, uh, judge anybody else because, like I said, it's just comics. And in the end, as long as we're doing good Spider-Man stories now, it's okay. Um, and I, I think I covered it before about married Spider-Man. I'm compl- I was always completely 100% behind that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, again, because I really believed that marriage. Uh, someone asked me about this, and I said, you know, I, I wrote Superman for a short time. I never bought Clark and Lois. I didn't believe in them mm-hmm. the way I believed in Peter and Mary Jane. There was something in those characters that had enough dimension, enough rooting in reality, that I really believed that marriage. Yeah. So, um, and yet I completely get why they wanted to go back. We used to talk about that all the time, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Can we, and that was where the clone story was trying to lead. How can we do a fresh beginning? Mm-hmm. But didn't they, my other question is, didn't they do that with the ultimate line? Wasn't that the whole point? Right. So right. If, you, if you went and you did, you did that. So my other question is, so why, why do you even have to do it with the other books? You've got, <laughs> if you want your single young Spider-Man, he's over there in Ultimate Spider-Man, which is very right. popular. And um, so... But I completely understand, you know, the, the thinking about oh, we're too we're too weighted down with baggage. We need to go to a clean beginning. We need to get back to the roots and all that stuff. But I never had any problem with the marriage. Yep. Uh, he says, which was your favorite artist on both of your runs of, on Amazing and Spectacular? He mentions Buscema, Bagley, and Luke Ross. You know, uh, I don't want to uh, uh, be negative about anybody else's work because. Mark Bagley is phenomenal, and, and he only got better. <laughs> he, he went on and on and went on to Ultimate Spider-Man, and now he's over at DC, and he's like, you know, he's the top of the heap, and it was great to work with him. He's a wonderful artist. And again, my, 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 the thing I value above everything else is storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he's an impeccable storyteller. If you can't tell that story, I don't care how well you can draw, you have failed as a comic book artist. Right. And, and there have been guys that have gotten lots of accolades, and they don't know how to tell a story at all. You know? and yeah. Bagley can tell a story, and he can draw, and he's terrific and a great guy. Luke Ross was just at the beginning of his career then. Um, I think he's probably a thousand times better now from what I've seen of his work. But he was very good then, too, and I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, his I'm... stuff had a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and, and it, back then it even had a very, very slight little sort of Eisnery tinge to some of it that right. I really enjoyed. So I very much enjoyed working with him. But my the, the connection and collaboration that I had with Sal was just really something special. Right. I wish you'd work more with John Romita Jr. I mean, you did that yeah, lot. Uh, you know, that's, that's just it. I mean, to, to, to sort of pick your favorite artist, mm-hmm. you know, when I've worked with so many great artists, just on Spider-Man, forget all the other artists I've worked with, right. it's like saying, could you tell me which of your children is your favorite? You know, <laughs> you know which, which is your, or I'm like a big Beatles geek, which is your favorite Beatle? Well, I love John Lennon, but I love the other three guys too, you know? <laughs> That's kind of what it's like. I mean, you know, look at Zach. I mean, there's no one, there may be other people as good as Zach, but there's nobody better than Mike Zach. Right. Um, so I've gotten to work with all these great guys, and you must forgot you mentioned Ramita Jr. God, I would love to have done more mm-hmm. stuff with him. He's he's mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, yeah. he did such a great job in the last years. So you know, rather than single anything out, I have to say that I'm incredibly lucky that I worked with so many right. really really great artists. Have you talked to Zek in a while? Has he got any work coming out? You know, I haven't. I haven't been. Um, I think I was in touch with him a couple of years ago, but I haven't mm-hmm. really had any sort of regular contact with him. Right. Um, and I, the, the impression I got, and again, I could be completely wrong, is that he's really happy just doing commissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think they, people manage to like get him to do a cover every once in a while too. Right. If I had a comic book cover, I'd have him drawn all my covers. Are you kidding? No, no kidding. They're beautiful. Yeah, he, he is just so good. So yep. good. Uh, the constant from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Uh, since he wrote the astounding, amazing uh, four hundred, how did you feel when it was revealed not to be? The true uh, Aunt May, that she was an actress. Right. Well, I guess did we kind of covered this one, didn't we? Yeah. Did, um, what? Yeah, it's, you know, it, 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 when you, it's like I said, when you first hear these things, the top of your head sort of explodes, and you go, what? You know? <laughs> and then, like, you know, a day goes by, and you go, eh, so, you know, someone was going to do it at some point, so they did it now. It's yeah. okay. And and as long, you know, it's, it's kind of like with Craven's last time. For, you know, people come up to me, and they say, you know, I just reread that Aunt May story, and it just really touched me again. And so yeah. the story's still there. You want to read it? It's right there. It's yeah. right there on the shelf for you to pull it down and, and, and read it. And um, and so I can't worry about what they do in terms of changing continuity because, like right. I said, I've been as guilty of that as anybody else. I can't blame somebody <laughs> else for doing it. His other question is about uh, the recent happenings with Aunt May. Uh, what do you think of that? Kind of like the Straczynski revealed that uh, Aunt May knows, etc. Peter Spider-Man. Well, you know, what I, I, I didn't read that, but you know, I heard, oh, it's a, big, it's a big plot point, Aunt May knows. Right. Yeah. I, didn't I do that? <laughs> <laughs> right before she died. <laughs> you know, so so I, so my, my my answer is well, that makes sense because I felt the same way. You know, so, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, little, here's a little piece of trivia. Okay. Uh, the the second thing I ever sold to television was an episode of the real Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. The story editor on that show was Straczynski. yeah. <laughs> so he bought like one of my very first TV scripts. The he's small a, world. He, he's a wonderful <laughs> writer, wonderful writer. So. Uh, Tech from St. Louis, Missouri, which is near me, uh, he says, uh, thanks for taking time out to do the show. Here's his question. Since you use both, since you both use spiritual elements, what do you think of uh, Straczynski's run on Amazing? I didn't read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know the guy's a terrific writer, and, mm-hmm. and, and as I said, you know, he bought one of my very first television scripts. But pretty much after I stopped working on Spider-Man, mm-hmm. I stopped reading Spider-Man. You know, yep. Like I said, aside from Spider-Girl, because DeFalco's a buddy, and he always sends me free copies. You know? <laughs> um, but beyond that, I, I, I haven't read anything. Right. So you I, know, I, I, I that's... That seems to be a common thread of writers that I've interviewed. You know, once you work on your hero... And and you leave. Most of the writers I've talked to, they don't go back and check it out. Like I, I couldn't imagine because I've been with Spider-Man thirty years. I don't, th- I can't right. imagine not picking it up every month. Right, right. And you know, probably if I, if 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 tomorrow I wasn't working in comics at all anymore, I, I, right. I, I wonder, you know, would I then just walk into a comic shop and start buying comics? Because I, I don't really read much of anything unless someone, you know, brings specifically brings something to my attention. You know, okay. someone says, "Hey, read this." Or you run into an old buddy and say, here's the new series I just did, you know? <laughs> um, 
and I was at the, the convention in, in New York a few months ago and ran into Todd DeZego I hadn't seen, and he, showed, he gave me a bunch of copies of what's it called, Perhaps Nots, I think is what his book is. I'm not so, familiar. Uh, it, it's a really, really good book, really good book. But, you know, I would have never sought it out because I don't even go into comic shops for the most part. <laughs> and I sat on the bus on the way home, and I read them all and loved them. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I met David Mack somewhere and gave me a bunch of copies of Kabuki, and I read that, and I loved it. So there's stuff out there that, you know, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but you know when you spend your whole day working on this material, right. it's not necessarily the thing that I want to be reading at the end of the day. His other question is, what uh, writers have influenced you over the years? God, there's so many. Comic book writers or just any writer? Uh, sure. Well, we can stick with comic book writers, I guess. Well, you know, certainly Stanley. When, when I was a kid, he was like God. Yeah. <laughs> he was the he was Odin. <laughs> he, was, he, he was beyond Odin. You're kidding. He was, he, he was he was he was it, you know. And um I, I was a huge fan of Steve Gerber's work. Mm. Yep. Loved loved Steve Gerber's work. Um Len Wein uh as an editor, as a writer and as a personal mentor to me was a huge influence on me. Um, so much, stuff. you know. I'm going to sit here and try to rattle stuff off, comic book wise, right. and I'm going to forget like 20 people, and I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to feel completely guilty <laughs> that I didn't mention this one. So I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> and in terms of just writers, um, Dostoevsky is one of my literary gods. Ray Bradbury is mm. like, you know, uh, can do no wrong. And I, re- I read, a, you know, five words by Ray Bradbury, and and it, and it inspires me to run to the computer and write more. You know. <laughs> um, Charles Dickens, so many other writers. Uh, there's just so many great writers out there, but certainly those those three are, are very very high in my my writing firmament. And Tex, last question is: Any character you wish you could write, but you haven't had an opportunity to do so? You know, I've been lucky in that I've written most of the characters that I'd ever want to write. Keith Giffen and I have talked several times about wouldn't it be fun to do Fantastic Four together? Hmm. Because I think it would suit our sensibility, the Giffen Demata sensibility. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that that's something that that has a little bit of appeal to me. There's a couple of characters that I would go back to probably just you know to do a story. Uh, I had a run on the Silver Surfer. Uh, yeah. For, With uh, Ron, was it Ron Garney? Was that it? Ron Garney and John yeah. Muth and, and a few other people. And and for a variety of behind the scenes reasons, I never quite got to do what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. and I love the Silver Surfer, so I could see you know wanting to mess with the Silver Surfer. Uh, I love Doctor Strange. Uh, had, had had a short run on that, and then the book was canceled, so I never quite got to do what I wanted to do there. Uh, so those characters have a lot of appeal, but beyond that, I'm not I'm not I'm not really dying to do any of those characters. Conflict wise, you know, I'm really much more interested in doing original stuff yeah. and creating my own little universes and characters. And then the fun of working on all these uh, DC animated shows like Justice League Unlimited and Legion of Superheroes, and now this Brave and the Bold is that I get to write all these fun characters and, and still get my superhero jollies that way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, like the Brave and the Bold is every week it's Batman teaming up with another DC character. So I've gotten to write just in three episodes, you know, uh, and then all these other characters show up. So there's just... Nice. And Justice League Unlimited, it was like the entire DC universe was in there. So I, I got to have that fun. But I don't right. have any really great burning desire. Oh, yes, I've got my Daredevil story that I'm dying to tell, <laughs> or, or I've got my... I have to do one more Batman story. If one morning I wake up and there's like a Batman story screaming in my skull, I will do what I can to, to sell it. But they're, they're not screaming in my skull right now. Uh, Donald Mark from uh, his location is Arkham Asylum. Uh, J, JM, uh, glad to have you on. Just want to say I love the Justice League Unlimited episode. You wrote The Return. That kicked butt. <laughs> I've been recollecting your late 90s run with the Spider Hunt saga. I just want to know whatever happened to Calypso. Did Alosha, how do you say, Alicia? There you go. Really kill her? Also, didn't you think it was a bit weird that she slept with him thinking he was Sergey? Yeah, well, that was kind of the whole point. <laughs> that, that he's uh, the son is playing all these head games with her. It was really very cruel. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she she thinks somehow it's the real Craven who's you know come back, and and then after they they sleep together, he reveals who he really is, and it's that's got to be a little bit bizarre. Yeah. And and my feeling at the end of that story was yes, he really had killed Calypso. Um, that was the whole point. It was supposed to completely, you know, blow your head off. That wait a minute. Oh, we just the scene before. It looked like he he's a decent guy and he made peace with Spider-Man and and then he turns around and he's just killed Calypso. But I have no clue what they did with the character after that. So I, 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 I don't think I, she's been seen since. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen a Calypso story in a long time. Really? So well, well, she, you when you out there knows the answer to that question. When you mess with the Craven and and his his minions, they stay yeah. dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
his last question is, uh, which Batman Spider-Man crossover did you enjoy writing more? Was it Carnage and Joker or Raj Agul and Kingpin? You know, I think, I think I liked the, uh, the DC one with Kingpin and, and Raphael Gould. Okay. I, just, I think as a story, it was a better story. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tetso Man from Springfield, Missouri kind of talks a bit about, uh, the marriage and how important it was to your, uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, he, he, well, we've kind of already answered that one, but his second question is I'd like to just have a more general question in that how are you able to go from, say, doing some of your darker work in Spider-Man, such as Last Hunt, and a couple of other Spider-Man stories you've written, to light and comedic fare seen in your work with Keith Giffen on the Justice League International work? You know, uh, no, no, no person is one thing, and no writer is one thing. And the, the great fun of doing the stuff with Keith, you know, it, it took me a while to adjust to it when I when I first started working on Justice League. It was just so much fun and so easy that I thought there must be something wrong here. Right. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and the book is selling well. I have to quit this book because it's just too easy. You know, that was my <laughs> first instinct. And thank God they convinced me to stay on the book. Um, but even even in the context of Spider-Man, I mean, you mentioned you know the Legion of Losers and Frogman. You know, after every once in a while, you got to take a deep breath and get goofy. And I have that aspect of my personality. Um, right. And you know, and, and you know, even in quote serious works like if you go back and look at Moonshadow, or, or there's so much goofy stuff in Moonshadow. People tend to look at it as this very serious literary work, but it's filled with this sort of Monty Python-esque lunacy. You know, so I have both sides, and and you know, working with Keith has been one of the great joys of my career. I mean, we have such a great time together. Yep. Hero Squared, the book that we do for Boom Studios, I think is the best thing that we've ever done together. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have a great time together. Keith is one of the, the the best collaborators you could ever ask for, and we just it, it, it's a, it's a collaboration that is pretty much free of ego. Right. He does what he does. I get to come along on the story and like completely change everything in the dialogue. And then we'll talk about a story. He'll go off and write the plot, and it'll be totally different than what we talked about. And that's what we enjoy because we keep surprising each other and we have fun. And it's great to be able to have a place to go to be completely goofy. <laughs> and you, you did did you write that latest Defenders book with him? That miniseries? That was like I guess two years ago. Yeah, we did right. the Defenders at Marvel. I, I, that was a great book. I, I love the the scene where the Hulk is seduced by that woman. <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by Dormammu's uh, sister Umar, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, Calgorn from Fountain in South Carolina. Uh, he he asks about the fourth Spider-Man movie and what you would think of Carnage and the Lizard being in it. Would you like that? Well, I've already kind of said what I think about Carnage, which is like, <laughs> How about the lizard? They've been building yeah, that up. The lizard up. could be probably done really well. The lizard yeah. would be really cool, and I think within the, in this age of CGI, they could probably do a great lizard. So, all right, I'll sign off on the lizard, but thumbs down on Carnage. <laughs> okay, thank you, Cisco. frankly, if I was going to say one more thing, yes. just one villain. Not two villains, just no, one villain. No doubt. Don't do, uh, don't match the number of Spider-Man movies with the number of villains. We had three right, villains right, yeah. at three, and no, we don't need four and four. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. Uh, I- Irish lad, our good friend from Dublin, Ireland, says, "Hey JM, I love your work. My uh, question is, what has been your favorite or fondest run on a mainstream book outside of the Spider-Man titles?" On a mainstream book, so we're not talking about my personal creator-owned stuff. Right. Um, certainly, the stuff with Giffen is way up there, but I, that, that almost exists in its own universe. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it's like you know you can talk about other dimensions. You go to another dimension, and it's Giffen Demata's universe over there. But I've, like I said, it's been I just have had so much fun working with Keith uh, on and off for all these years. And and other than Spider-Man, in terms of a regular monthly gig. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I, if there was one that I enjoyed as much. Like I said, if I wanted to pick a story, I'd pick that Batman story, Going Sane. Right. But 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 any other run, specific run that I liked as much as my work on Spider Man, I don't think I could pick one. I don't think okay. I could, Sp- Spider Man is probably the top of the heap. He's it. Okay, uh, Venom six five four three seven. And when I read that to Peter David, he goes, "Man, he had to try a long time to register for that handle." <laughs> but uh, I, I, we make that joke with Venom all the time. But I, 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 we love Venom writing in. He's from Fort Myers, Florida, and he goes, "Hello, JM. I just wanted to tell you that you are one of the best Spider-Man writers ever, in my opinion. So how does it feel to be at, so good at what you do?" <laughs> Oh, it feels wonderful. <laughs> that's the, that's you know, the, the truth, only way to answer that question. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, you know, when you're sitting in a room by yourself writing a story, um, you're not, you know, you're not thinking anything like that. 
you're yeah. thinking, oh my, I want to make this story work. That's all you're thinking about. Or, or as I said before, the best of all possible worlds. You're just so involved with the characters. You know, no one's going to sit around going, oh, I'm a wonderful writer. It's time to sit down and write a wonderful story. <laughs> and I'm very, very, you know, very touched and complimented that when people say nice things, because you know we're all desperate for approval. So please like me. Yes, I want that very much. But the truth of the matter is also, you know, there's just as many people out there that probably hate my stuff as love my stuff. So keeps keeps you keeps you in balance. <laughs> but but I have to say, and because I don't want to I don't want to swap this aside either. I really really appreciate it when people connect with my work and it means something to me. Right. I mean that's why I write. Mm-hmm. I you know because I know as a reader I'm one of those people that when I read something that, that that really connects with me, I take it into the deeps of my soul. You know, so that when I get feedback from people that respond that way to what I write, it really means the world to me. So I really really appreciate it. Now, uh, our next question, I have to set this up, it's from Wolf's Grin, and he, I'm, I'm a reporter at the NBC station in, in Joplin, and, and Wolf's Grin, his name is Mike, he's my photographer, okay. and we go around on stories and, and we talk comic books. And, uh, he, I told him I'm gonna interview him, interview you, and he was like, oh my god, I love him. I, so he, <laughs> he went to my website and he registered. And so this is what he wrote. He says, I'm mostly a DC fan. Sorry, Brad. So my question to you is more in line with your works at DC. First off, I loved your Dr. Fate. The wow. vamp, the vampire story was a life-changing event for me. I know a comic book changing someone's life is unheard of, but it really did, and I've always wanted to thank you, so thanks. Well, oh, and, and McKenna, was that your artist on that? Was no, The artist was Sean McManus. Okay. Well, oh, I he think, says... I think Mark McKenna was the inker. He must have just okay. gotten mixed up. Yeah. Oh, but Sean says, McManus, great artist. We worked okay. for two years together on that book. He says, oh, and McKenna uh, had one of the best facial expressions ever. He nailed yeah, that, your... That, that's Sean McManus. Okay. About, okay. He nailed your writing style. So, to the question, most writers who have had a spiritual point of view, tend to drag on and make the story way too heavy and serious. You seem to dive really heavily into the existential realm, and at the same time you make note of, hey, these guys wear spandex. I just wondered where that levity came from. It's very natural and very real, and it's like the three-year-old who doesn't realize she's at the funeral for a great-grandma during the procession decides to try their hand at stand-up and gets almost everyone rolling. It's just awesome. And he also... So I guess where do you get that uh, levity? <laughs> well, I'll say two things. First of all, he mentioned Doctor Fate, and he just answered the previous question for me. They said, "What other run other than Spider-Man?" And I loved that two years that I did with Sean McManus on Doctor Fate. I completely forgot about it until he mentioned it. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the cases where that was very low profile. Most people didn't even know it was happening when we were doing it. You know, <laughs> so whenever I hear from somebody who really read that one and got it, 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 it I, I, I get very happy because I had such a great time for two years working with Sean. And that particular series did exactly what he's talking about because, um, and partly it's because I was working on Justice League at the, at the same time, so the vaudeville part of my soul was very close to the surface, you know. <laughs> but but you know, Doctor Fate, um, I, I, I was able to indulge all my various passions because it got it, the stories got into a very very deep spiritual uh, questioning and a deep spiritual atmosphere. It was also a lot of great supernatural stuff. I love supernatural stories and supernatural comics and TV and movies and all that and books. And it was completely silly. We would, you know, go from discussing the nature of God to like, you know, toilet humor. And <laughs> and and it was and it was an adventure story and it was a little bit of superhero. So I got to throw it all in there. And I think, you know, the, the best in the best of all possible worlds. Um, you, go, you you want to mix like that, you know? Yeah. If you read, you know, go back and you, know, you read Shakespeare, you know, Falstaff, you know, comes on, on the scene and he, and he's funny. And, and, you know, I mean, Herman Melville was funny. So, I mean, yeah. if Herman Melville and Shakespeare are going to be funny, I think we can, we can be funny in a comic book, you know? Right. You know, every once in a while you have a certain kind of a piece that needs to sustain a certain mood. Craven's Last Hunt had a certain mood and that drum had to beat a certain way. Uh, you know, suddenly Spider-Man came out of the grave and made a joke. I don't think it would have worked, you know. No, no, no. <laughs> That's what would have happened if, if you know if Giffen was writing that. You know? but, but, uh, <laughs> Man, I've got so, dirt dirt in my boots after this grave. Let's go get right, Craven. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so I, I I try to like get that balance in my work because that's who I am as a person. I'm not one thing or another. I have a completely infantile, goofy sense of humor, and I'm an intensely serious guy at the same time. And his his last comment is thanks again, and I do believe the universe is smiling back. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, Leopard Lad from London says, Hey, JM, it's a breath of fresh air to see you back. 
I love all the stuff you did with the chameleon in the 1990s. Was he a character you wanted to be more developed? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think I took him pretty far. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, the thing I really enjoy almost more than writing the heroes is writing the villains. And and looking at these characters that have been around for years, and you sort of like crack their head open and peel it apart and say, okay, put on a mask and you do this, but but why do you do this? Right. Why do you do this? Uh, and then you begin to uncover their psychology. So I had a great time with the chameleon, and probably you know had I had I stuck around, then even farther. Okay. And his other question is, if you had stayed on Spider-Man longer, would you have done more with the Legion of Losers, which is classic <laughs> stuff? He thinks <laughs> I would have spun them out into their own series. Are you kidding? <laughs> I always thought I did the thing with was it the, was it the Grizzly and the Gibbon? Yeah. You know, they were sort of like trying to be Batman and Robin. I thought they would have, they would have done great in their own in their own series. <laughs> I don't know if anybody would have bought that, but <laughs> I would have. <laughs> you, yeah, well, I probably would have too, actually. <laughs> uh, let's... I don't claim I have great commercial instincts. I'm just, I just, you know, I'm just telling you what I would have done. <laughs> Our last question is again from England, uh, with the handle Ditko Loves Green seventy seven. I don't know what that means, but uh, hey, JM, I heard you used to be a music critic, so I was wondering what is your favorite Spider Man song. <laughs> okay, the, 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 that, that question made my brain explode. <laughs> does, does he mean the theme songs? I well, yeah, I guess I don't really know any other Spider-Man songs. Well, I, maybe maybe who performed the Spider-Man theme? I mean, you know, Michael Bublé's done it. Right. Uh, I, I you know I, 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 Aerosmith. <laughs> years ago, I was doing a signing at a comic shop in Santa Barbara. Yeah, some guy came in and said, "You write Spider-Man." I wrote the theme song for the cartoon show. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think you know that's the one. I think probably because I saw it when I was a kid, that sticks in my head. You know, do 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 Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man. That one just 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 sticks with me. So if I have to pick a Spider Man song, uh, that's the one I'll pick. <laughs> and uh, he also asked. I'm glad we're ending on a profound note. <laughs> yeah, there. <you> go. <laughs> he also asked a bit about the the new cartoon that's out. The sp- the spectacular oh. spectacular that that right. song. What do you uh-huh. think of that one? <laughs> um, you know, I, I've only seen the show a couple of times, so the the, the, the song is not like uh, burned into my brain the way that other one is. Right. I'll, I'll try to watch it next Saturday and see if I can uh, musically analyze it for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, JM, I appreciate you talking to us. Before we go, let's give a uh, little uh, plug of what's coming up from you, work-wise. Okay, what's happening work-wise? As, as I mentioned before, uh, I'm, I'm writing a novel right now for HarperCollins, but you won't be seeing that until probably 2010. But when it comes out, you must all buy it. <laughs> um, uh, the, the big comic book project right now is called The Life and Times of Savior 28, which I'm doing for IDW, which will be out uh, probably in the spring, a project I've been waiting years to do, and I think it's going to shape up to be one of the best things I've ever done. Hmm. Also, uh, editor-in-chief of Arden Entertainment, so please everyone run out and buy Flash Gordon number one next week. And when Batman the Brave and the Bold comes on in November, you must tune in. <laughs> was that enough? Was that enough shilling? Yeah, that, that was good shilling. Okay. <laughs> Are you writing every episode of Brave and the Bold? Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've written, I think, three episodes of this. Three show. of them, okay. But, but these guys, these are the same guys that I work with on Legion, and they worked on Justice League Unlimited, and they know what they do, and it's going to be a great show. Well, JM, I'm looking forward to your, your uh, Spider-Man coming out next year, too. And amazing. Right. Oh, right. And then there's this uh, two-part Spidey thing I'm working on. And there's, there's other comic book stuff that's going on, too, but, but you know, I can't keep track of all this stuff. Right. And, and possibly Ben Riley. If, you, if you're ever going to inkling to write him, feel free to come back. Right. right. You know, when you, you storm the Marvel offices with 5,000 Ben Riley fans <laughs> demanding another lost year. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're writing up the picket signs right now. Okay, that's good. <laughs> well, JM, it's, it's been a pleasure. You've been one of my favorite writers over the years. And I just uh, enjoy your work immensely, sir. Thank you, and it was great to talk to you. All right. Thank you, JM. Thanks a lot. Take care. And we'll wrap up the show right about there. Many, many thanks to JM for taking a few hours out for us Spider fans. He really is a classy guy, and I can't wait to read his upcoming Spider Man work. Also, want to thank MailOrderComics.com for sponsoring the show each and every month. If you'd like to check out some of JM DeMatteis's work, MailOrder has a ton of his stuff. One of his best, in my opinion, is the Defenders Indefensible trade paperback. The cover price is fourteen bucks, and MailOrder has it for eight dollars and thirty-one cents. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. And gang, I want to personally thank you for listening to this podcast month in and month out. It's been a great two years, and I hope to do it two more. And our numbers are really growing, and I appreciate it. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. We've only got about 15 so far, 
and it'd be nice to have even more. Also, there's a discussion going on about this interview. It's on the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com message board. Click on the Crawlspace 101 section and discuss away. I'm Brad Douglas, and thanks so much for listening and visiting the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com.